Welcome to the Sleeping Barber Podcast. Episode 10 is here and we have a great conversation lined up with Graham Staplehurst and Jorge Alagon from Cantor. We talk about the Branzi Report and the Meaningful Difference Framework. And don't forget, stick around to the end for our post-pod discussion. Welcome to the Sleeping Barber Podcast, a place for business leaders to get the best and most credible information on marketing, strategy and innovation. Your hosts, Mark Binkley and Vasilis Duros, share their experiences as they gather insights from the world's leading experts. Now, on with the show. Welcome to the show today. We have Graham Staplehurst and Jorge Alagon from Cantar. And we're really excited to have you guys on the show today. Thanks for joining us. Um, Brief bio, Jorge, uh, you're the head, global head of data science at Cantar uh, and the creator of the Meaningful Different model. That's correct. Um, Thanks. That Cantar uses. Yes. That's... Yeah, this is this is really exciting. I stumbled across one of your articles from like 2013 <laughs> yes. that you published the, the, the framework and the model on this. So that, that's, this is really exciting. And you guys have continued to develop this over the yes, years. Yes, it has been evolving since. Yeah. And uh, Graham... Uh, you're the Hi. thought leadership director at um, Kantar, and today specifically is a really exciting day. For you. We were just joking before about the sweat and tears that went into the Brand Z report that That's just right. yeah. published yeah, today. Our, yeah, our global report for this year. I mean, we publish quite a few every year with different countries around the world. We have the rankings and the valuations for the best brands there. But today, yeah, is our global brand ranking day. So it is the biggest one of the year, and there's a 400 page report for people that want to go download it from brandseed.com so yeah that's amazing I, I started scanning through it like i'm currently at page two <laughs> but, <laughs> i'm just kidding. i've actually been reading through it but it's it like i mean there's so much that's in there and for today what we're going to be speaking about is how brands create value uh with the two of you guys and, and talking about the meaningful different framework and layering in some of the insights from the Brand Z uh, report, global report you guys have. So I'm really excited about this conversation. Thanks for joining us. Thanks to you for inviting us. Yeah. So um, I'll start and then V, maybe you take the next question. But um, uh, Graham, maybe let's start with you. And maybe you could tell us more about the Brand Z model um, and and why you guys are so focused on, on... this report and trying to measure and track the value of brands. Yeah. um, We started off Brandsy in 1998. Uh, We've interviewed over 4 million people since then around the world. And it started as a sort of a, a, a speculative project for WPP companies to give advertising and media agencies in WPP, um, a better insight into the brands that they were working with um, because data is so useful in understanding the consumer and understanding where a brand sits with consumers. So it started off in that way and uh, those agencies and indeed Kantar agencies would use it to get insight into the challenges that any brand might face uh, when we had you know a a client we were working with or pitching to Um, and it was clearly very very useful because we've invested millions in it since then Um, and Mm -hmm. it continues to be probably the number one source of insight 
in Kantar today. Um, and it's helped us grow over uh, the past, you know, 20 something years, 25 mm -hmm. years almost. Um, wow. Because, you know, it it's, you know, data, it's not truth exactly, but it's really, really helpful to get a grip on, on um, what marketers need to do next with their brands. I didn't realize it goes back almost 25 years. That's... Uh... That's incredible. And I, I don't know, Jorge, if this is uh, you jumping in or maybe it'll go back to Graham, but, you know, having an evolution of over 20, oh, nearly 25 years, what is the vision behind Brand Z in totality? Where do, you, where do you plan to take it? How do we go? Where does it go? I think that the main vision is to be the largest single repository of brand knowledge coming from actual perceptions of people, of consumers, but of people around the world. And the vision is to help marketers take better decisions while at the same time we contribute to better the lives of the people and the planet. Um, Graham, would you agree? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, I think yeah, there's enormous databases of behavioral information. Mm -hmm. uh, Nielsen, uh, IRI, our own Kantar World Panel. Um, these are all fantastic resources to understand, you know, how much of something is happening, um, who's buying what and when and how often. And a lot of the analysis and the, the thinking that's developed in recent years, for example, by the Ehrenberg Bass Institute and Byron Sharp, has used that data um, to look into behaviors, formulate laws um, uh, around purchasing and so on. But you need to complement behavior with attitudes. Um, mm -hmm. They're not perfectly in tune. You know, right. I mean, attitudes um, uh, is what we call the value action gap. People have certain attitudes and values and beliefs, but they don't always do what they b claim that they believe um, or claim to do. Um, but understanding, getting inside consumers' heads to get a better insight into why they're doing something, not just how much of it they're doing, is really, really useful. And we've, you know, sort of want to move the conversation on from just how do brands grow into how do brands create value for businesses? Wow. Um, and how do they even create value for society and the world around us? It's an interesting um, comment about how brands, not just about how brands grow, but also how they create value. And so what popped in my mind was just the, the financial value of a brand. And you guys talked about this in the most recent report that hmm. a substantial amount of a brand's economic or financial value um, is really tied up in brand hmm. and tangible hmm. assets. Um, and we, we were speaking with uh, a Canadian, a fellow Canadian named Dave, who's an accountant and also a CEO of a company. And he was giving us a bit of background on on that from a financial point of view. And I think it's a little bit different in Canada than it is in other places. Uh, and it could just be like the gap style of accounting versus other styles of accounting. But I don't think this brands are valued the same way across 
the world. No, no, I mean, there are different practices. That's right. Yeah, there are different practices. Um, There's royalty relief methods. um, And there's what we use, which is brand contribution. So we look at um, uh, branded earnings. Uh, We look at, um, you know, the the normal way that you would then look at a, a multiple for those to project into the future. But the unique bit that we put on top of of valuation is using our database of consumer perceptions. And what that means is that we can say for any given brand, not just, oh, well, you know, you're in the auto sector or your FMCG or whatever will apply this multiple to your earnings. Um, We can say how much of that brand's earnings are coming because people want to buy that brand and are willing to pay the price and sustain Mm -hmm. the profit that the company makes from that brand. And I think that, you know, Mm -hmm. that's where uh, you will get uh, different methods. Um, And indeed, yeah, there are multiple methods allowed. Um, You know, there's a there's a a, a global ISO on brand valuation, um, which if you really want to get into the technicalities, you know, is available there as published and so on. So, you know, we're uh, uh, adhering to those sorts of standards, but we do something extra, whereas other people might apply a, a judgment as to, okay, how strong is brand A versus brand B, and we make an adjustment, you know, we use mm-hmm. the data that we get and, and we're as, as objective as we can be. Well, maybe we could take a quick moment here. We actually double click into this. So, you know, talking about like Cantor's database, I think it's something that's genuinely interesting and um, in, in, in the context that you're also using it to help evaluate, you know, the brands and, and the report. So maybe, Jorge, what makes Cantor's database so valuable? Oh, many things. One is the size, right? So we have, uh, right now, we have uh, 50,000 brands, close to 50,000 brands uh, since 2014, which is the year we started using MDF, which is the current way of measuring this. You know, uh, Graham uh, was hinting that we used a previous methodology uh, mm-hmm. And with that, we also had a, a large database, which we used and mined to understand and to uh, create the meaningfully different framework, right? Which is what mm-hmm. we use mm-hmm. now. So one is the size. And this also has to do with the breadth and width uh, and depth. <laughs> so because this is a truly global database. So it's not mm-hmm. just a few mm-hmm. um uh, markets, right? So it, it it is global. It goes from, uh, you know, from the usual big markets of the states, the UK and and Europe, and but it also measures China and uh, other emerging markets like Latam or Africa, etc. Right? So and uh, Asia. So it is really a global database. Um, the other is we are using what we believe is the strongest framework of measuring how consumers perceive brands and what is the value that companies extract from those perceptions or brand perceptions in in people's minds, Mm -hmm. right? Um, And it's because we've consistently used this model, yes, with certain evolutions across the time, that gives us also a way of contrasting what's been happening and changing uh, and evolving as well with the market. So that's what makes it different, you know. So we are actually speaking with users, consumers, you know, FMCG services, even uh, uh, B2B companies 
and uh, the breadth, the size, and the consistency, and using a very strong mm-hmm. method. Graham, something else? Yeah, I mean, we absolutely. In, uh, one of the interesting things is that we found that the the framework and the methodology is useful across almost any sector. Uh, we've mm. measured charity brands. We've measured among um, uh, uh, cardiologists um, prescription brands. Uh, we've measured, mm-hmm. as you say, B two B, you know, cloud computing brands. So there isn't so far. I think we struggled a little bit with football teams. We, people asked us to measure, um, hmm. and 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 your attitude to a football team is not quite the same as your attitude to purchasing a brand. It's a, <laughs> it's a little bit harder to switch. We find for people, so the model maybe doesn't quite have the same thing. But you know, you can compare. You can compare, for example, you know, different sports and people's predis- predisposition to watch and spend time with different sports. Right. You know, why is F1 you know, growing in some places, declining in others, you know, what's the future of football? Can the NBA bring basketball to Europe? These sorts of, of, of questions are really useful. And, and, you know, in the end, it's, it's even not just brands that we can look at with our model. Hmm. I'm really looking forward to, you know, exploring how marketers can use this framework. But before we get into the, the how part, um, can we spend a bit of time to break down the framework itself because i think that'd be super interesting and jorge maybe we can start with you because i know we off the top mentioned that you'd written this paper or published this paper um about meaningful different um and and so from my understanding there's three core components of this framework so it's meaningful different and salient um so maybe we'll just start with you jorge like in terms of how did you land on those and then maybe we can take turns uh just kind of going back and forth and adding some color to the, each of those meanings. Sure. So, you know, we've been measuring brands for 25 years, not only with brands, but with clients in Middleware Brand or in TNS, which were then uh, merged into what is Cantor now. And there is also uh, a good deal of other publications by academics and other practitioners. And we used all of that information and the Brandsy database, <laughs> you know, to then explore mm-hmm. what is it that it's in the mind of people <laughs> that can be put into a consistent framework across categories and countries, uh, you know, that measure things that we could call them something, <laughs> right, that then impact their behavior. And what we found, mm-hmm. so we explored uh, all different kinds of uh, attributes, right? But we found that, yes, having functional benefits that are perceived well, you know, by by people and some emotional attachment or closeness or affinity to a brand, those two components are important. We also found that being unique in some ways because you are really different or be, because people perceive you as different or because you are evolving the category and being dynamic and creating and fulfilling uh, new needs or the old needs in new ways or communicating differently. Those are things that we found consistently to be there. And of course, being f- rapid or fast to mind when you have a, 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 a decision to be made, a purchase, mm-hmm. it might be, right? So we explored all of those and we we found that more often the functional benefits and the emotional attachment 
tends to group together and be kind of the same thing, <laughs> which we call being meaningful. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. A similar thing happened with being different or perceived as unique. Uh, so being different to the others or uh, following, right? Uh, versus following. Or the other is to be dynamic, to be setting the trends. And those would also tend to group together. And that's something that we are calling being different. And then we found that, Mm -hmm. yes, coming easy to mind, you know, the salient piece of this, once you have a needs, uh, a need that that prompted, you know, a a decision. So we, we certainly found that there are those three aspects that we can actually put them uh, or separate them as much as possible into mm-hmm. what we call factors. Um, and those three tend to give us a lot of different ways of um, going deeper into what makes a brand more uh, valuable than others. Mm-hmm. So we used data-driven <laughs> and analytics to mm-hmm. then... Uh, formulate this concept so we are data-driven and then we created the Mm -hmm. framework to say, yes, those brands that are meaningful, therefore, who have some affinity and or meet their needs better to some clients, those brands that are different because they are unique or they they are driving the, setting the trends and or those brands that are salient are those who are the most powerful brands, right? So those are the three components that we're measuring. And we also, oh, sorry, Graham. No, I was just going to say, I mean, that's absolutely right. It's a combination of empirical investigation. Okay, so so it's about saying there's a load of theories out there. Let's test out which ones seem to best fit with the data that we've got. And we've got all this single source information, which combines consumer attitudes and, and, and what they what they what they actually buy um Mm -hmm. but more than that actually as well i think um we mustn't underplay the the role that the development of neuroscience and behavioral science has had over the last couple of decades because we've understood so much more about the human brain how we make decisions how we store information Mm -hmm. how we remember how we recall and so on and i think it's it's you know um there's a lot of uh uh acceptance of this idea of you know brands are bought because of a combination of mental availability and physical availability mm-hmm. and what our model actually does is take that mental availability bit and 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 actually we're starting to call it mental connectivity much more because brands that are strong have more connections in people's heads i mean that's right. that's you know that why are they more mentally available it's because you've associated them uh, with uh, more um, uh, ideas, more thoughts, mm-hmm. more feelings. You've learned about them. Um, you've experienced them. You've, you've used them. You've tasted them. You've driven them. Um, you've seen them, you know, secondhand in social media, uh, in recommendations and so on. Um, you, you associate them with more and more category entry points and so on. So mm-hmm. all of those things, strong brands have wider and deeper connections, mm. wider across more different you know, aspects and, and needs that they can fulfill and deeper because basically we know that um, 
people are only going to be actually considering a couple of brands at any given time. So it's the ones that come to mind fastest. And what the neuroscience tells us is that if you've got a well-balanced, strong, comprehensive set of mental associations, mental connections to that brand, that mm-hmm. is is what will come to mind faster and more easily. That Yeah, it's an interesting point. Sorry, go ahead. No, no I was just actually... I love the I love the story a little bit behind you know how how you guys came to the meaningful different and salient as kind of being like the three pillars column of the uh, of the Brandy report. Mm-hmm. I would be curious, and this is just just me asking. You don't have to share this, but what were some of the other considerations at the time when you were kind of going through this? If you could provide some insight on that, yes, sure. So we we considered. For example, salience can be measured in many different ways, right? So uh, one of the most basic is just top of mind, you know, so you yeah. prompt the category and say which brand comes to mind. But we explored needs-based salience. So we are saying, okay, what are you looking for in a soft drink or in a car? And then saying, okay, when you're searching for that specifically, so you're searching for flavor or for um, unsweetened or refreshment, or, yeah. Yep. Which brand comes to yep. your mind, right? So right. it's a right. it's a different way. So we tested several approaches on on doing that. We also tried to measure, uh, for example, affinity or with different ways, you know, so closeness to the brand, being loved to being hate, um, uh, or just something like saying, you know, how uh, how warm you feel about this or the other, right? So we tested right. several approaches of measuring that. And we also had many more specific attributes, you know, right. like that could be also category. And we tried to see, well, to put them all in in a model that will mm-hmm. help us mm-hmm. to explain the actual behavior of people, right? And the ones that we settled in, Meaningful, Different, and Salient, were the more parsimonious, <laughs> meaning, you know, okay. the least number of different variables or aspects Right. Uh, but with good explanatory diagnosis power, right? So there, there is okay. that. That's okay. how we got into that. Hopefully, that helps. And there's another Brent. aspect to this model, actually. That there's a, yeah, there's there's a part of the model which actually says we need to understand what's less important. So in some categories, the salience aspect coming to mind fast and and easily and strongly, that's actually a lot more important. You know, because all you, you know, it's, it's maybe it's a more trivial decision and therefore just, yep, I'm familiar with it. It's type one decision making. Your brain, you know, wants to minimize the effort it's going to put into that decision. So it's just saying, yep, that feels right. I'll grab that one. I know that. Whereas um, in other categories, we find that um, meaningfulness and difference plays a bigger role. But we also looked at different types of behavior hmm. because actually just making people want okay. to buy a brand is one thing. Making or, or uh, helping them to feel happy to pay the price that you want to charge for that brand is different altogether. <laughs> sure. And actually, it's that that's the biggest role that yeah. uniqueness or difference plays um, in in brand building. Yeah, you want to be meaningful and salient. 
um, you know, to, to Byron Sharp's wor- words, you want to appeal to as many people as possible, right? So, so that's 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 the way you get your penetration mm-hmm. sort of broadly established. Um, but if you are a, a, a higher priced brand, if you want to charge more than a competitor, um, there's got to be something about you that a competitor can't deliver. It's got to be something different or unique about right. you, and that is 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 the role that it plays. So we actually have multiple metrics of brand equity. We have demand power on the one side that says, how am I going to grow my penetration? How am I going to achieve that purchasing across as many people as possible? But we also have pricing power that helps you understand what flexibility have I got to to, uh, increase price or sustain a price or to resist price promotion? And of course, that metric right now is becoming more and more important as we go into inflationary times. There's pressure on marketers to increase the price of their mm-hmm. brands because the cost of production is increasing and at the same time you know there's pressure on wallets right. that consumers want to you know are paying more for everything so where can they save some money so justifying your price right now is be- going to become the number one job that marketers have to do and let me add to that because one of the things about brands is that brands are one way to give you an edge for the future. So it's not about just purchases today, but it's also about your future power. And this is right. another thing that we have in Brands here or in, in MDF. And the what is driving your future success has a lot to do with being meaningful and different today and less so about being salient today, right? So we we have a way to understand better the whys about a brand performs well today in volume and in pricing power, but also about their future. Right. I'm trying to think of how to say this. Like the to be meaningful and different is important for future growth, I think is what you just yes. said. Right? Uh, and pre- and those are factors are more predictive of future growth. Yes. Whereas salient is that if, um, like if I'm buying something today, like if I need a, a new, I've been looking at um, uh, the Galaxy Smart, the Samsung Galaxy Watch, like a, a smartphone or a smartwatch kind of thing. So that I know of it today in a specific buying situation, there's that one, there's a Garmin one, there's the Apple, like so that they're that they come to mind is more important for today. Yes. But for the future of the company, they want to focus on making sure that people know what makes it meaningful, makes it valuable and makes it different. Brand building is about, is about creating expectations, right? And, all these connections that I'm talking about that you right. need to, to to embed in people's minds, you know, they are they are essentially ways to frame uh, and and to set expectations. So mm-hmm. when you you're thinking about your watch, and salience is great right now because it means ah oh, you're going to research two three brands, uh, and and that's one of the brands that you'll research. When you do that research, you think that you're being rational. You think that you're evaluating quantitative bits of information that you're receiving and you're comparing them. Um, mm-hmm. You're not. 
Okay, so mm-hmm. essentially, you're risk, you are you are <laughs> you're putting. Those, oh, I'm fully right. aware of that. Like, I'm like, I yeah. like that one. I well, just like the way it looks. I don't putting, care. Like, that's right. and I'm yes, trying to find all the reasons exactly to justify what your it. brain is doing, and you know, you're 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 gonna you're gonna buy the thing that you know you 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 want to buy and 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 those wants have been established over the last 12 24 72 months um of 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 communications of mm-hmm. of, of second hand experience colleagues or people online that that you come across reviews that you read and so on so yeah you, you those um decisions that we always you know think we're making in that rational way uh, are massively, massively influenced by uh, all these other factors that have gone before, and yeah, that's the job of a, a, a marketer is to create, you know, really uh, useful yeah. impressions in the mind that set those expectations, that frame it, that that you know, sort of make you think, oh my god, an Apple Watch is going to cost me a thousand bucks, and then you go and look at it, and it's actually, oh, it's only nine hundred bucks, and it's like that's great. Um, <laughs> Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. so, oh, they're and, practically and, giving and it away. You know, you can do that with pricing, <laughs> but you can do it with with uh, uh, many other aspects of of the brand experience. I don't, I don't mean to labor this, um, but one thing that that came to mind. But I think, I think you actually both uh, answered. Uh, maybe I'll go to Graham for this. But when I see meaningful difference in salient, there's another attribute, if you will, that comes mm-hmm. to mind, which is emotion. Mm-hmm. The emotion that say a brand elicits. But the way you articulated the framework, it almost feels like these three together actually give you the emotion that the brand is. So it, it wouldn't need to be its own standalone attribute. Am I am I assessing that? Correctly? Yeah, that's right. So so as as Jorge explained, being meaningful is a factor. I mean, the first thing you have to understand is that is that everything that we've tried to do on Brand Z, practically everything, um, is is inevitably rooted in consumer sur- sur- survey research. And, you know, survey research, whether you're doing it on pen and paper, by telephone, online, Mm -hmm. on a a smartphone, it has limitations. Um, And and we don't we don't say otherwise. Right. You know, it is not the truth. It is what people report to us, what they can be bothered to report Mm -hmm. to us uh, and what they're able (laughs) to report. Because, you know, you don't know your own emotions. You can't quantify your own emotions very well. So the first thing is, is that actually. All our answers that we get are to some degree or other correlated with each other. So Jorge's team does the clever analysis that tries to separate out the the, the individual contributions that each of uh, the measures that we're taking is making and remove that correlation from them. But right. yeah, we ask five fundamental questions. Um, we ask a form of brand awareness, as Jorge explained. We ask uh, a scale for emotion to say, you know, sort of uh, how much do you love or hate this compared to other brands? How mu- how well it meets your needs, uh, uh, how unique it is, um, and how much it is setting trends within the category. Um, but each of those overlaps with each other, and yeah, it's that it's that non-rational. Um, wouldn't even call it emotional per se. It's just the 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 immediate gut response that we have mm-hmm. um, to all brands. I mean 
we have done quite a bit of neuroscience research where we use nonverbal techniques to elicit uh, what we call intuitive associations with brands. Um, and you can do a lot of interesting things um, with, mm-hmm. with nonverbal techniques where you're timing responses and things and, and, and using um, dissociative techniques. Um, what they do is broadly tell us the same thing. So actually, when we're doing a survey, we're not even within a survey measuring truly quantitative information. Yeah, it's largely uh, a first instinctive Mm -hmm. gut response from people that they're giving us. And they're nuanced by the particular questions that we're asking. Right, right. Awesome. So, I mean, I think Mm the thing is, is that we, we also ask many, many other questions on Brand Z. Uh, and we do now, actually, uh, we introduced last year for the first time some right. nonverbal techniques to get at emotion. Um, so we use a, a, a technique based on um, the, a, a tool called Needscope uh, that was developed um, and, and is run across Kantar now, where we use pictures of people um, not expressing emotions, but actually uh, different types of people that have been validated in, in many, many countries around the world. So that you look at a brand uh, and you look at six different collages of people and, and, and you say, which of these types of people would be most likely to use this brand? Or you look at a collage of people and say, which of these brands would they be most likely to use? OK, so we we can do it either way around. Hmm. And 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 then we ask right. for some uh, uh, you know, emotional adjectival association uh, with with the brand as well to say, well, what is it about those people that makes them like that brand or want to use that brand? Um, and those are very, very interesting and they're much more descriptive. Um, they don't necessarily help you in the the quantitative sense of saying, ah, if you get this emotional response or this, you know, this this typology of persona for a brand, everybody will buy it. And if you don't, they won't. You know, it's more about helping to develop uh, consistent communications and and creating, you know, that, you know, strong emotional personality for your brand, which is one of the things uh, that will, you know, uh, uh, give a strong representation in the mind, and 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 those powerful emotional connections will help sell sell for more and sell for longer. I find this fascinating, honestly. Like, I'm just geeking out right now. Vasilis, <laughs> can I? Uh, and you know, emotion is important, <laughs> but. Do brands create strong emotional reactions in people? The answer is most often than not, not, right? It's, it's not that much. So mm. we don't react to many brands in an emotional way. Yes, you might have some favorite brands where they are very emotionally powerful to you, but there will be very few. And right. you are using many other categories, right? So the, the kind of emotions that people on average feel towards an average brand is on the low side, you know, right. not close to zero. Mm-hmm. So it's only a few brands that move the notch either up or to the negative side sometimes, right? And it's just very particular ones for particular people, you know, that you would get there. But but you can ask um, that, you right. know, in the love-hate question that we find or in mm-hmm. others, and you will broadly get those people and those brands where those emotional I mean, connections appear. We don't really believe appear. anybody loves a brand. Uh, or oh, there's a vanishingly small proportion of people. Let's say there's a vanishingly small <laughs> yeah. proportion of people. I mean, you know, the fundamental thing 
you know, that I've seen is that brands are pretty unimportant to consumers. And, you know, we go back to the neuroscience. We go back to the neuroscience. Okay. Our brains <laughs> our brains want to be as lazy as possible, yeah. to spend as little time yeah. on anything that is irrelevant as possible. And so actually brands are yeah. brilliant because they are shortcut tools for our brains. We like brands because they make it easy for us to get around the shop. I mean, mm -hmm. imagine if you went and did your weekly shop at a grocery store and for everything you bought, you stopped and looked at all the alternatives and tried to weigh them up. You know, you'd be, you'd be there half the day. So, yeah, our brains mm -hmm. don't... <laughs> that happens to me when I go oh, to yeah. grocery stores. <laughs> in foreign countries like i find like i go to a foreign country and i'm like <laughs> everything's totally different here and then i spend like five hours going through the yeah. grocery store trying to figure out what's what like because i just and, don't know. You know yeah i mean you're right it, 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 i tend to do that but because i work in branding and i'm really interested in all these brands and you know uh, finding the ones with the most amusing names always used to be a good a good little game we would play on holiday and we'd come back with with bimbo bread from brazil um <laughs> Uh, or, or strangely named, yeah, strangely mm -hmm. named um, uh, chocolates from Germany or wherever. So, um, yeah, yeah, it's uh, it, it, yeah, it's good fun. It's good fun. But um, That's uh, I, I seem to remember there's. I'm trying trying to bring to mind there's a um, there's a there was a toilet roll brand from somewhere in South America, I think called something like Fred or something, you know, it's just like, okay, why would you call your toilet rolls Fred? But yeah, <laughs> for people there, it's a great shorthand. They like Fred uh, or whatever it was. And, uh, um, you know, it's, yeah. it's, it makes our life easier. That's why, that's why brands are valuable to consumers. And actually I'd, I'd really like to, 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 you know, just bring the conversation around to a little bit more of a serious point again, actually there, because, you know, we're talking about um, creating value with brands. Brands have value to businesses. I think, you know, there's no question about that. Our, our, mm -hmm. our valuations, you know, why is Apple worth $947 billion, right? It, you know, it's because it's able to launch just about anything. Mm -hmm. Um, and people will buy it because it's Apple. Um, and, and that goes for many, many other brands. Um, mm -hmm. But, um, you know, brands have value for consumers as well, as I've just been describing. And and we also have to remember that, and, and this goes to the emotional part as well of brands, you know, people are not just consumers. Um, people are employees. So, you know, you have... Now, in large businesses, right. people concerned about employee branding. Um, how do you attract the best talent to your business? How do you get the mm -hmm. right partners coming to your business? Why does you know Adidas want to to partner and you know with one brand but not with another? How do you attract uh, you know other brands? Ecosystems are becoming more and more important for brands all the time. You can't exist on your own. Um, so, you know, you've got to interact with other brands. You've got to have uh, a, a strong brand to to get the best partnerships going. Um, and even even investors, you know, OK, a mm -hmm. lot of investment is done maybe by robots these days. And that sends the, the markets into all sorts of dizzy spirals at times. Um, but, you know, a lot of investment mm -hmm. is still done by people. Um, you know, why does somebody go on Robin Hood and invest, you know, a couple of hundred bucks in, in one, in one company rather than another? Uh, yeah, maybe they get a tip, 
maybe it's because they've they've mm-hmm. seen used or heard about that brand and you know it's got some positive associations for them so there's there's many many ways in which brands create value for for themselves and for you know the wider world and and mar- marketers ultimately are responsible for all of those things I, there's so many things that you've uh both touched on and, and i'd love to I mean, it's probably like not enough hours in the day to cover all the topics that I'd like to explore. And, and I'm sure V's got 800 more than I could think of, too. But um, in terms of applying this stuff for the everyday marketer or, or any marketer, really, what I mean, any any marketer yeah. on any given day, like how what do you think are some of the big things and some of the things that are kind of popping in my mind or like you mentioned um, the salience part, which I thought was really interesting. And cause there's this other idea about top of mind awareness. And from what I gather, what you're saying is that top of mind awareness is not as important as being situationally aware, um, would be one kind of takeaway that I think I've heard from you guys, but also the idea of, um, creating value is not about building and like, it's not about making people love you as a brand that doesn't sound realistic based on what you're, you know, despite the people that get the Apple tattoos and <laughs> the Harley Davidson tattoos. So like what, what kinds of big takeaways do you, do you think marketers could use today? And when they think about the, the brand Z report, when they see that, or when they think about the meaningful different framework, I would say that the main learning is brands are valuable (laughs) and they are valuable to companies, but also valuable to people, not in in a big way Mm -hmm. to people. They are just shortcuts to make their lives easier. And in understanding Mm -hmm. what is it that comes to people's minds when they see their your brand or logo or bottle or any other branded asset, what comes to their mind actually will shape the the performance or the value that you're obtaining from the market. And the more you take control <laughs> and try to influence the experiences and all the t- touch points that people get to your brand and therefore form the perception of the brand that you want them to have about you, And the more you take Mm -hmm. ownership of that, the more you are taking control of not only your present, but more importantly, about the future of your company, meaning of your profitability, right? So I think that's Mm -hmm. one of the key learnings that I would put there. Mm. Graham? Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, There are some, some other key points as well. So by breaking down this idea of uh, predisposition or, or, or brand equity into different components, you can start to diagnose what you need to do as a marketer. So, you know, you look right. at your profile, the simplest thing, you can look at three things, meaningful, different and salient, you can take a measure of those three things or assess those three things and say, where's where's the gap? What is strong? What is weak? Where do I need to work? Now, for example, Let's say you're in the worst position. You're weak on everything relative to your competitors. What do you do? Well, 
it's clear to us that the first thing you need to do is to understand how you can build something different about your brand in the minds of consumers. So focus on that. We then get to the next stage where we've got brands that have some difference, but are, are lower, relatively speaking, in terms of how meaningful, how salient they are. Now, these are the brands actually that in, in, in brandsy valuations, we clearly identify as the, the ones with the greatest potential to grow. I did some analysis this year on three-year time period from 2019 to 2022, comparing brand valuations uh, from um, well over 100 brands in our rankings uh, that were consistent over that time and looking at, at, at them. The ones that grew most uh, were the ones that had difference to start off with and then grew their meaning and grew their salience. If you could achieve that, you got 129% growth in your brand value, about two and a half times the 51% um, that brands that didn't grow achieved that. And then hmm. you get to more mature brand. And the other thing that we've seen with the, the brands Z work is that um, a lot of brands stop thinking about meaningful difference and focus too much on just getting a short-term return on their investment. Right. And they focus on the salient side. Mm -hmm. Now, of course, it's important to keep reminding people about your brand as, as, as reasonably often as you can. Um, but we found that brands that had what we call a big salience uh, gap, that is to say their salience relatively was much higher than their meaning and their difference, um, they tended to be the ones that would go into decline. Um, because they were not oh. focused on the right thing. And what you've got to do is, is that like you get big and from big, where'd you go? Typically it's down, right? <laughs> okay. So what do you need to do? You mm -hmm. need to sustain, you need to keep the memories fresh. You need to not rely just on salience. Um, I worked for, for quite a while on a brand that was a great brand in many ways, Vodafone. Um, and, you know, in the first Brandsy rankings that we published in 2006, it was a top 10 brand. It, 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 it's, it's in the bottom half of the top 100 now um, because it was incredibly good when it, when it was created from many different brands that were acquired and merged together into Vodafone. It was incredibly good at, at getting the Vodafone name out there. But since it hasn't done enough to create meaning and difference in the market to sustain that value and competitiveness. And we've seen, for example, the brands had to withdraw from a number of markets. It's merged with idea in India uh, in the face of strong competition. Um, whereas Airtel in mm -hmm. India is back into our top 10 telecom brands this year because it faced off the threat of a low price competitor, um, uh, rebuilding trust and therefore that emotional connection uh, and that meaningfulness for Indian consumers. And it's actually still able to sustain higher prices uh, than other brands in the marketplace because it's preferred in that way by consumers. And yeah, there are many, many other qualities uh, that brands can have. So we dug last year into the Brandsy database and identified four fundamentals that brands need to pay attention to in order to sustain a good, meaningful di difference. And that is that they need to um, have a wide range of well-designed products and services that they need to um, fit easily into the lives of consumers. They need to be convenient to find, buy, and use. Um, uh, they need to deliver mm -hmm. a good experience. 
and they need to have great advertising. Um, you know, to, to so mm-hmm. you're you're promoting all the different parts of the brand, and if you can get at least you know to parity with your competitors on all those four areas, then you can look to see how how can I uh, you know, sort of get further competitive advantage from other attributes that your brand might have. I love the example of Vodafone uh, there, Graham, because, you know, when I lived in Europe, I was a, uh, I did choose Vodafone as my carrier. And mm-hmm. there was something mm-hmm. about the brand at the time, you know, there were F1 sponsors, mm-hmm. there were football sponsors, there, they, yep. there wasn't somewhere you wouldn't look and you wouldn't see Vodafone. And I felt a high affinity to that. I would even add color. Like, yeah. I love the the red and white, yeah. and maybe that's Very because I'm Canadian and our flag yeah. is red and white. <laughs> But it, you know, you know, we know yeah. the color also elicits an emotion of power and yeah. some of these other things. So I, I, I that that example that, that you just stated that really resonated with me. Um, I did have a quick question. And this is it just kind of came to mind when, I, when we look at the three things. Is there a percentage weighted that makes a brand extremely successful? So like if is it if you can get a brand that is meaningful at 33 percent different, 33 salient at 33, is that the right mix or it's like. Does, does those percentages play at all, and what would make a you know a brand incredibly powerful? There is not a single mix that will any. work okay. for all brands. Okay, but what we've and it all depends on what you are looking for, right? Right. Because if you're looking for demand, for penetration, for volume, then yeah. aim mostly for meaning and for salience, right? But if you're right. aiming for pricing power to increase your prices, even if you're not a, a premium brand, you know, even if you're right. a value brand, but you want to start charging a little bit more, right? Then focus on differentiation and, and being meaningful. So yeah. there there is no secret sauce for success, <laughs> you know, that will apply to yeah. all brands in all locations. It it will change. So mm-hmm. unfortunately, okay. they, they are, it, it's a, it depends. Yeah, I mean, it varies by category, awesome. as I said, can, you know, the models you... that we use, we actually look at behavior in the category, attitudes in the category, and the model calculates how important each of those three factors is specific to that context, that country, that category, that time. And of course, any of those things you change, and potentially the importance of those things can change. And then, as I've said, you know, the life stage of a brand and, and, and its competitive context, you know, will we'll change a lot as well. Fair, yeah. Blackberry was very yeah. different until Apple came along. Right. So, so, and 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 this year, I ranked all of the brands in our our report, and the number one most different brand. Okay, so rated competitively, you know, uh, um, against brands in each of the categories it operates in, um, by actually quite a margin, is Apple, Uh, and I don't think there's any any um, real uh, uh, accident. The, the most valuable brand in the world is also mm-hmm. the most perceived as different brand in the world. Mm-hmm. Can can I ask you about that different mm. part too? Because I, I, so there's, again, we've talked about Ehrenberg Bass a few times. And so there's uh, distinctiveness that they would mm. point out as being important. Um, yeah. Different as you guys have defined it. But just for clarity, like when I think about different, I think about differentiation and then, you know, forever 
since I've been trying to learn about marketing, it's always been about you have to have something completely unique and, and almost like category breaking. And that's how you are. That's how you win. Is that is that what you guys mean by different or is it more nuanced than that? Well, more okay. nuanced. I think, yeah, I think you... I, yeah, sorry, I'll just, I mean, yeah, I, I, I worked on a paper that, that we, we, we put together recently to really help our own people with this because, yeah, you're right. It's a confusing area. And what I think that the simplest way to see this and, and language is mutable anyway, so we can mean whatever we want with, mm-hmm. with words. Um, but for us, distinctiveness is a physical property of a brand, right? It's those assets and the way it expresses itself and so on through its design, through its uh, communications, uh, through the experience it delivers or whatever. So, so brands try and have uh, something. So for Apple, it's distinctive. You know, it's got a logo that nobody else mm-hmm. has. It's got a store design that nobody else has. It's got a, yeah. a, a store experience that nobody else has. You know when you're in an Apple store just by the feel of the place mm-hmm. and, and, and the quality of the people mm-hmm. that come to serve you. Um, difference is what exists in the minds of people. So that's what's perceived and, and, and the way mm. that you remember it. And difference is also relative. So difference is relative to others. Um, right. As I've said, you know, you can be different in one way, um, but not in another in people's minds, or it can change over time. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, I like to think of actually there being two fundamental types of difference. Um, difference of being better and difference of doing or having something that other brands don't have. And I don't think that, you know, Mm -hmm. as I said at the beginning, all of the measures that we do through survey work, um, they're very much approximations of of truth, right? Okay, they're what people are able Mm -hmm. to report to us um, and want to report to us and can be bothered. So, you know, we can't point at a measure of difference on a survey and say this is, you know, definitive in that way. But it's a really helpful indicator mm-hmm. about the degree to which something feels substitutable and uh, uh, or or otherwise. Um, right. And you know, that's what that's what you're trying to encourage. And it, it might be a combination of things. You know, no one thing you do might be unique. It might be the combination. Of things mm-hmm. that you have that and and it might also be unique for some people but not for others um right. so mm-hmm. you know it, it but but yeah one is perceptual attitudinal that's the difference it exists it's the intangible thing in people's minds distinctiveness is is derived from those physical assets that are recognized quickly and easily by people as your brand mm-hmm. sorry jorge you, you you probably want to add <laughs> no, not much. I think that you did a great job. But yes, if you have if you have something that makes you really different, <laughs> you know, you can use it. Like trout and rice will or rice will will say, you know, differentiate or die. Well, it's right. just trout. And yes, but not many brands can do it, right? And if you are already a big brand right. in a in established category, how can you be different? Really different. But it doesn't matter if you can be physically different or not. It matters if people think, feel, 
perceive that you are yeah. different to right. the others in the category for whatever reason it is for this person or for that people, yeah. right? So if they they mm-hmm. get this feeling of being different, of you being different to the others, or leading the the, the category, right? So then mm-hmm. that's enough, you know, and that's the 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 concept that we're measuring with MDF that we've we can prove, you know, with evidence that it's related mm-hmm. with current purchase, but also mostly with with uh, the price people is willing to pay, and with the future mm-hmm. of of uh, of the brand. There's a few years ago. There's a brand strategist that we I used to work with, and um, he played the song uh, by Bananarama, <laughs> which was originally I think. Um, uh, Etta James, or oh, it ain't what you do. Yeah, yeah, it ain't what you do. It's the way yeah. that you do it. Yeah, and it forever just like, especially the banner, <laughs> the Namorama one. Like it, for, it's got such a, like a driving kind of beat. It's just like re- on repeat over and over yeah. in my mind. <laughs> so, yeah, so it kind of makes me think of when you were just saying that, Jorge. Like that just popped in my mind again because it's 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 less about like that you're in the case of apple that you're making a phone it's maybe more about how that you do that and the experience that you package around that. and you could that can be enough if that is meaningful to a customer right in the, in the experience and that and then on the on the brand side that you're building that um mm-hmm. salience for people to think of apple in those scenarios where you should be considering yeah, I mean, all of these factors are things that you know, they don't persuade somebody. They don't convince somebody. They're just nudging people in different, you know, yeah. towards a brand mm-hmm. uh, in decision making that they're not paying mm-hmm. a lot of attention to, um, and that for the majority of purchases is not that important to them. The risk of a wrong decision when buying any right. given brand is pretty low. You know, even on a big purchase mm-hmm. like a car, you're still going to end up with a car that's pretty good. Um, um, yeah. mm-hmm. you know uh, so so and and you'll justify why you bought it to your wife afterwards so yeah. <laughs> totally <laughs> you know i what i love the yeah. most about like, these these three attributes they're very actionable so you know if a brand is doing some self reflection and they're saying you know if the, if we're hinging on hinging our brand on these three things salience difference uh, and being meaningful you say you know how can we become more meaningful how can we differentiate ourselves how can we become more salient I think becomes very tangible, which is incredibly powerful for brands yeah. when they're doing again their own self reflection. Yes. So I, yeah. I absolutely and love actually that. we we get that question a lot, you know, because our clients then suddenly say, "Okay, I I have to be more meaningful." But what do we mean by meaningful? Yeah, of you course. Know, specifically, mm-hmm. which attribute I need to touch on my communication or in my new innovation or whatever yeah. to make us more meaningful? And the full model then goes one level below or before that, you know, trying to say, okay, is is this about flavor or is this about being, Mm -hmm. you know, uh, sustainable or is this about, Mm. you know, making you feel better as a mom? You know, what kind of things will make you or make this brand more More meaningful meaningful. or more different? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, So Mm -hmm. the, the nice thing about the model is that those three things make sense. And yeah. you can think about many brands with those three things, but then you can mm-hmm. go deeper specifically in a category with the grants in that, ca- in, in that country to dig deeper into, okay, if you want to action this for your, for this brand, these right. are the attributes or the, the actual perceptions that mm-hmm. you will 
more that will more be more powerful to drive yeah. those things you know but you need a meta model like meaningful different and salient yeah, 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 yeah. to think across mm -hmm. the world yeah. and that so it is it's it's what makes it um very powerful i would say yeah. i was talking there to a colleague mm -hmm. the other day and we were you know sort of trying to come up with 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 an example of how you use this and you know just imagine you're 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 opening a little bakery shop on the high street right and you're a new brand so mm -hmm. you know you come up with your name and 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 you put it above the door and you have a range of things that you sell and so on but you know if you want to grow as a brand then you look at, at your offering and it's like okay so how do i make myself more meaningful do i deliver a better experience so let's put some seats in and let people sit down am i going to serve coffee as well as cakes mm -hmm. you know create a whole experience around that or is it about the range of cakes that i'm going to make or am i going to make different types of cake and actually let's have all our mm -hmm. cakes be eggless and gluten-free um and so that you know they're they're, they're going to appeal to you know a section mm -hmm that maybe other brands aren't appealing to um there's so many ways in which you know or is it just that we just have to get our name in the local newspaper and and let's sponsor the local soccer mm -hmm. team so that more right. people know about us right and and you can apply that thinking to the smallest mm -hmm. brand and the smallest operation or right up to the biggest right. brands and the biggest operations there's there's a line that I think when we were speaking with Mary uh, for our first mm. podcast we ever did, she had made this or uh, quoted Bob, Bob Hoffman, I think it was, that there's so many strategists and so little strategy, <laughs> um, which is such a great line. But um, but as you were describing that example, Graham, of even the, for the bake shop, I mean, uh, and kind of connecting it with Jorge just was saying about the framework itself, it is powerful in that if you're trying to like create strategy, it really is a, in my mind, a good way to frame the 100%. strategy and look at the diagnosis. I think you mm. mentioned this earlier too, is just trying to figure out where you're going to play in those spaces, which um, it's not always just about more ads. <laughs> like you can do different things. Um, and the meaningful part would also made me think about was you've it's meaningful to the customer. It's not, meaningful yeah. to me the the company right like you have to f work with sort of this give and take between the brand and the customer or what's in the mind of the customer no, absolutely absolutely and 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 again just to come back to the point not even just the customer but in the mind of the employee and the mind of right of, exactly. of, of the people backing you the bank manager Partners. that's going to extend you the loan um whoever right you know it, it, it's all you know, what we talk about good faith and trust and so on. Those are just, you know, other ways of expressing this idea of meaningfulness. Yeah. Have you, have you got any other thoughts or final questions? I have, I know we spend a lot of time just like on the framework itself and whatnot, and perhaps being selfish, like I think that for me is like just the setup of the framework. How can it apply? How can marketers look at it and potentially reposition uh, themselves within any, um, within their organizations and whatnot. So I think it's, it's, it's a fascinating topic. Maybe we labored a little bit too long, but for me, it's, um, I absolutely enjoyed that. The, I think my, I don't know, the question, and this can be, I think I know the answer here, but when you look at B2B and B2C, uh, being two totally different entities, but still somewhat very similar, do you find in the research that, you know, people or 
sorry, consumers or employees or whatnot approach uh, those brands differently in each space? And is there opportunity, say, in B2B to be more meaningful, more salient? Because different is probably something that they, that they naturally would have. But do you see a difference or a nuance between the two industries? Graham, I think. Yeah, we do quite a lot of B2B research. And actually, a lot of the brands in the uh, rankings that we publish uh, are B2B brands. Um, so, you know, in, in fact, this year for the first time, uh, for, for, for brands like Google and Amazon, we've separated out. Um, so we get a brand value for Amazon, for example, but we also can allocate that uh, between the components and um, Amazon Web Services, for example, contributes mm-hmm. something like 70 odd percent of profit to Amazon. So, yes, it's a very big part of its brand value. Mm-hmm. Um, and we can assess that because when we talk to business decision makers, we actually find that first and foremost, they're humans with human brains. Now we tend to think about, oh no, but there's procurement and there's, you know, there's there's all these other things that happen. That's amazing. But, you know, the the point is, is okay, which brands do you put into procurement? Right. How do you choose the brands that 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 you ask to bid, um, and so on? So. Yes, you know, yet there are different contexts in that decision process, um, but many of the same factors still pertain. Yeah, a company or an employee in a company will not tell you that um, they they uh, will, you know, um, use a certain uh, software platform because right. they love the brand. Okay, mm-hmm. but if they know that the people using that software love it, because it's it's great at its job and the support is good and it's well designed, um, uh, you know, then they're going to feel better about buying it, and they're going to argue the hell out of procurement mm-hmm. to not make them switch to this cheaper alternative um, right. that everyone's going to hate and give them grief over. So, actually, yes, business decision makers, you know. A mum is not going to, or a dad is not going to buy food for their child that their child's going to hate, unless it's, you know, green vegetables, mm-hmm. and you just got to do that anyway. But um, but you're not going to, you know, do that. That's just the same for somebody who's going to get grief in an office because they buy the wrong photocopier mm-hmm. or, they, or they buy, you know, phones that don't work or whatever. So, yeah, yeah. Um, brands still have the same role. Um, in B2B purchasing. And absolutely, we've seen over the last, again, couple of decades, B2B marketers are picking up more and more of the of the language, mm-hmm. the strategies, uh, the tactics of, of B2C marketers that maybe have been around for 50 to 100 years um, and applying them and, and, and winning as a result. I mean, great example of this, actually, that I saw recently, uh, just creeping in for the very first time to our top 100 this year is Airbnb. Hmm. And Airbnb are advertising both to you know, people that want to rent accommodation, but also to hosts. Right. They're advertising to yeah. people saying, it's great to be a host. Come onto our platform, hmm. put your accommodation yeah. availability on Airbnb. And, mm-hmm. and, and this is what you get as a result. Now, you know, the, I don't know what their advertising split is, but it feels like I see almost as much of one as the other. Hmm. So, you know, it's, it's, 
it's it's paying attention and using um, the understanding of of brands and the human brain uh, and the sort of models that we can bring mm -hmm. that is really helping B two B businesses as well. Interesting. Experiences made possible by hosts. I think I, I was just thinking about Airbnb, and I think that's what the the tagline is. And I think mm. it, you're right. Like it's fascinating how they've approached both sides mm. fairly equally. I want to say too, yeah. Graham. I think I agree with that. That yeah. it's very yeah. Well, they're, yeah. and they're promising an emotional reward to hosts, not just exactly. a financial one. Um, yeah. And I think that's absolutely the right thing to be doing. You know, they're yeah, they're that you know. Yeah, as a host, you're probably going to have a load of experiences, good and bad, with 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 customers yep. coming into your property. But you know, let's try and encourage you to think about the positive ones. Let's try and 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 encourage you to 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 create more of the positive mm -hmm. ones. So that makes sense, um, guys. We've covered a lot of ground, and there's so much stuff in here, uh, and, and I really can't wait to read the rest of the. 198 pages <laughs> in, <laughs> that I haven't got to in the Brand Z report. So thanks for your time and sharing your insights. I mean, it's just such a fascinating conversation and um, and, and so practical, I think, for, for marketers as well. Like the framework itself yeah, is such a great um, model to use. So yeah. thank you. Thanks, I yeah. mean, to Jorge's point, you know, we're in the incredibly privileged position of sitting on top of this data and, and continuing to create, you know, more of it. And mm -hmm. we have a, uh, we certainly feel a huge obligation to, to make that as useful to as many people as we possibly can. Yeah. So thanks very much for having us and, and allowing us to, to share some of that with yes, you Yes, thank you. Mm -hmm. Awesome. And how can, uh, maybe we'll start with you, Jorge, how can people find out more information about you? And then Graham, if you could also uh, give us your, uh, your yes, details sure. as well. So, you know, more details about Brand C, go to brandc.com and then you'll find everything about it. Uh, yes, I. you can follow me on Twitter <laughs> where I will be publishing stuff there. Nice. So my profile is there. And yeah, you can expect more papers coming out from me very soon. And for um, for Brandzi, um, uh, we're pretty active on LinkedIn. Uh, I'm also on LinkedIn, and you can email Brandzi at Kantar.com. Um, if you go to Kantar.com slash Brandzi, um, uh, you'll find our latest report, but also all the previous reports going back to 2006 um, and the reports from all the markets around the world, from Australia to Canada um, uh, and all points in between. Mm -hmm. So, uh, you know, we, we would uh, very much welcome anybody connecting with us in that way. So thank you. Yeah. So great. Thanks guys. I really appreciate your time. Thanks, Thanks to you. Cheers, this was awesome. Bye -bye. Thank you. Time for the post-pod discussion with Mark and V. Post-pod V. Here we go. <laughs> where do we where do we even Let's start do with it. this? I <sighs> Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, let's start with the meaningful different salient, like the three aspects of that. Um I, for me, there's a huge epiphany around the different. It's and maybe you and I have talked about. I I know we've talked about this before, <laughs> but like, like forever, 
I've been thinking that different meant completely different. And if you couldn't figure out a way to be completely different, then don't even bother. You're who? <laughs> yeah. yeah. But that's not real. Like that's not like you can't create like, cars. I mean, they all have four wheels yeah. and they've got doors. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Like you can't Tesla. Maybe that's, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's different, but it won't be that different, you know, as more and more car man, autom- automobile manufacturers venture into, in a meaningful way, electric cars. Yeah. So like having a completely differentiated product is, is not, I don't think a sustainable approach, but it doesn't actually have to be the thing that you anchor your difference on. I, I agree with that, Mark. And if I go back to something you had said during our brand podcast, um, when it was about like building those mind structures. And I think when you think about it in the context of being different in creating that mental availability of your brand in the consumer, that the perception is being different. So we look at Apple, mm-hmm. right? They still create and sell smartphones. It's not, they mm-hmm. have a different smartphone because it's a different operating system, but the context of the smartphone is still a smartphone, right? Yeah. But how they've been able to position themselves and it maybe goes back to like their brand positioning, like think different. I think what is their, one of their, mm-hmm. it's very intentional in telling you that, you know, we are different or the people that purchase our products are different themselves. And I think if we go mm-hmm. back to one of uh, um, Steve Jobs, original um, conversations or when he was talking about like the rebirth of, of Apple. It's like the people who buy Apple are naturally the ones that are leading the world with their thinking. Right. And people mm-hmm. want to associate themselves with something like that. They say, yeah, yeah, I do have an mm-hmm. Apple device because I am different. So I, I completely mm-hmm. agree with you in terms of like different may not have to be as tangible as like mm-hmm. between products. Like we're different because of, this specific thing yeah it's the mental structure and the availability you're creating and the perception of the difference that actually exists mm-hmm. the, yeah and actually the apple one that you just the example you gave there about um targeting people who want to be different yeah. um originally it was like you know the artists and creators exactly. and that kind of stuff and and so for me like without Getting into segmentation and targeting, we kind of, the framework covers that because it's not about meaningful in terms of like what I think is important. It's, and we talked about this a little bit, but if you understand the market and understand there's a section of the market that's, you know, like each other Mm -hmm. and there's an opportunity to serve them, then you can be meaningful to that segment. That's fair. Yeah. Because of what they <clears throat> find meaningful rather than me just making something like another smartphone and, and trying to sell it to everybody. Yeah. Like it, it's, it kind of, and we talk about being customer centric all the time in any kind of marketing or any kind of business. But really when you think about product design, customer experience, uh, branding, packaging, all that stuff really kind of the more aligned that can be to be meaningful to the group of people that you're trying to serve. I think that's an, I think that's valuable. It's another way to think about segmentation and targeting, but 
meaningful is is a interesting way to think about it. Honestly, like I know I asked the question around emotion because I know we've talked to Ty, we've talked to yeah. uh, Dave, we've talked we've talked to so many guests of ours, and we we talk about how do brands start eliciting more emotion and, and whatnot. So that's where naturally right. my my question came from in the context of well, should we be measuring that? But then mm-hmm. rethinking about that, these three attributes all tie in emotion as well, right? Or mm-hmm. you can ask the question around, and I know he, they mentioned that there's really five key questions and I did want to ask, what are those questions? Like, I just wanted to keep mm-hmm. going down that rabbit hole of like the- Yeah, <laughs> I know. It's so interesting. But it's, um, it's, it's, it's super interesting because like emotion becomes a byproduct essentially of how you're, how you're meaningful, how you're different and how salient right. you are, right? And it's not something that's front and center perhaps even though creative brand managers may think about difference, like you put emotion before and that kind of sets the tone for the brand, mm-hmm. right? I, maybe I'm not articulating this the right way, but. No, I, I get what you mean. I, I get what yeah. you mean. Keep going. Yeah. Is this, you know, I think marketers can be pulled in so many different directions. These three attributes mm-hmm. can really tie it all back. Just think about sitting mm-hmm. in a boardroom and you're like, we have to do three things and we have to do these things really well. You know, we have to find a way mm-hmm. to be meaningful to our consumers who are also employees, mm-hmm. who are also investors, who are also all these things, just mm-hmm. as, you know, Graham and, and Jorge said. Second, we have to focus on how can we be different in the mm-hmm. perception of, uh, of our audience and then how do we become mm-hmm. salient and then really redefine how our brand is structured potentially. And, uh, you know, and what mm-hmm. are those things, those sub um, not maybe not sub attributes, but you know, what are those things that we're like the levers? Exactly. Maybe that, yeah, 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 yeah. Like the levers that we're going to pull to be meaningful. What are those lever levers that we're going to pull yeah. to be different or salient? Yeah. And I think it's just so tangible. Like I could see this manifesting yeah. itself in uh, in organizations very easily. Yeah, you know, the other thing I like about the language and as you were describing, like imagine sitting at the boardroom table and you know, I both have done that a, a bunch. Yeah. Um, the, and, and some of the other conversations we've had around the language that marketers use and how yeah. we are our own worst enemy. Cause we're not talking in business language. We're talking about marketing gobbledygook. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, we, uh, <laughs> I, I like that because meaningful, we can talk about meaningful and it's, relative i mean it may require some uh definition around what we mean by that but it's a word that's not um unapproachable like graham talked about category entry points and i love the idea of category entry points but it takes a lot of explanation yeah you know what i mean and so as um and we talked to roger martin about how some ideas just become ubiquitous Not because they're good ideas, but just because they're easy to like ingest or or consume, and so like salient, that one's I would say a little bit needs a little bit more definition than meaningful. Yeah, that's or fair. Different. Yeah. Um, but but the three of them together are pretty approachable, and I like it. Like, and it's kind of like it's a really nice way to package strategy. Yeah. Um to say meaningful, different and salient. And it's a little more approachable than saying things like 
category entry points, um, you know, or getting into top of mind awareness yeah. or brand awareness or, you know, brand recall attention, like all those kinds of things, you know, brand love. And like, I, I like that it's approach approachability. I even, I don't know if we can double click into that or take it one step further, just think about it in the context that you're briefing an agency and you're saying that, mm-hmm. Hey, maybe it's a creative agency or even your, your media agency. You're saying, you know, the purpose of this campaign is for us to increase awareness on, you know, uh, being meaningful or whatnot, right? It's so simple mm-hmm. for people to comprehend and understand. Then the, the output mm-hmm. becomes very tangible, right? And how we're going to measure that mm-hmm. success. And it could be through quant surveys or just surveys, or it could be through multiple things. Or, hey, we're going to retest this next year. And we hope that it moves mm-hmm. the needle in this direction by X amount. It really provides, a, a, and it, it is a framework, but it provides guardrails in a very tangible way that marketers can actually just take this. And it doesn't matter if you're selling cupcakes on the corner or you're one of the most valuable brands in the world. These three things, if you focus on them, you will likely mm-hmm. be very successful. Yeah. Well, and I think the combination of them, like we talked about levers, I think the combination of them too is a way to create difference for a yeah. brand. Like, you know, how are you going to be more meaningful to customers? Well, first of all, you got to understand what they find valuable. Mm-hmm. And so if we're going to try and try to create value overall for brand and build equity, like, okay, well, let's figure out what customers find meaningful. Yeah. Then we could look at, all the brands that fit into that category of helping customers do things. And it may actually help you rethink your competition because rather than just going, Oh, I'm looking at every other company that sells shoes and I'm looking at the companies that help solve, uh, that deliver the meaning that customers are looking for. It may not actually just be shoe companies uh, that we were talking about. And then the salient part is like, what are the, points of entry for that person when they're thinking of buying something that makes that purchase meaningful or this the product is meaningful and and unique i don't know if i'm making sense but i feel like there's a there's a way to create um the combined system is a way to help build that differentiation and manage brands that can can as a system can be um, distinct and different. And so you can choose which path you're going to focus more on. I, I love the, even their answer when asked, hey, may, is there a, a you know, out of, if you weighted under 100%, does your salience need to be 50% and then, you know, right. the re- different and meaningful is divided with that other 50, like, you know, 25 and 25. But, and for every category and for every industry, it's going to be different and, it makes sense. There, there probably shouldn't yeah. be a very, you know, strict guidelines that hey, you need to meet fifty percent salience for you to be successful. Mm-hmm. I also loved what they said around. I think they both t- actually touched on this. Was brands are great because they're shortcuts, and our brains mm-hmm. love that shortcuts. And I think when mm-hmm. you again as a marketer and you say, what is the purpose of the brand? And how do you value yep. the brand and say, it's like, we need to reduce that friction either to memory, yep. either to recall and all these things. And how are we going to do that? Because mm-hmm. we want to make it easy for 
our consumers or our target audience to find us, purchase our product, our service, or whatever the case may be. And if you mm-hmm. think about it in that context, then you could really, again, I think defend the brand and why investing in brand makes sense because it's like, hey, mm-hmm. we need to be top of mind because if we're not top of mind, then there's going to be another brand that's occupying that mind space or the mm-hmm. mind availability in our mm-hmm. target audience because of our competitors, X, Y, Z, right? Again, mm-hmm. it goes back to making it tangible and making it purposeful in the sense yeah. that let's not forget the reason we're even doing this or we're even at this table, we're even discussing investing in our brand, it's because we want to make sure we're building those mind structures that you uh, articulate in our, you know, our brand pod. Um, but it's also like our ability to have that recall. And the way to do this mm-hmm. is leaning on these three things. And I just can't c- mm-hmm. keep coming back to that because for me, it is literally something that is so tangible. And I know I can use this either when I'm adv- advising for clients or, you know, whatever. They- mm-hmm. It's very simple. Like just Mm-hmm. Three areas you got to focus on. Yeah. Well, yeah. And the other idea that I really liked, and I, and the the idea about nudging people. Yeah. Um, and, and what I think is really valuable, because if we start thinking about marketing as, uh, there's two theories of marketing, one of being a strong force, one being a weak, weak force. And the weak force idea is that you nudge people along. Mm-hmm. And that also in that category, people who are the weak force theorists or, or believers would say that, you know, brands aren't that right valuable or, you know, to, or people don't think of brands all the time. Yeah. Like you might think of a brand if you're in marketing. Strong force theory would be you think brands are super valuable. Customers think they're super valuable and, um, and advertising can make people do things that they didn't think of doing before. In reality, like you totally. can gut check yourself on this totally. by saying if if you believe yeah, yeah, that yeah. you know the latest numbers are true, where five thousand the average person sees about five thousand ads a day, mm-hmm. none of us would have any money because <laughs> so many of them are about <laughs> buy now buy now. like I would like I would not have a single penny left yeah. if I if if advertising really was the strong force we believed it yeah, was yeah, yeah. and if brands were like the <laughs> i'm broke the crowbar that we people that people think they are That's you know true. what i mean or some marketers think they are so the nudge thing i think is a really valuable idea and thinking about that meaningful difference salient is like ways to you know like the michelangelo thing like this the statue david was already there i just chipped away the pieces but like shaping that's a great point the perception of the brand over time um is really i think a super valuable takeaway for me i know we i know we had a question there we didn't get we didn't get a chance to uh to get to it we were talking about you know i know we had a former colleague that you know would always ask do you know or do you think you know right yeah and i think such a good it's such a great question such a great question and i think that now with with this framework let me see how I'm going to say this. It does give you an ability to know, right? If you're measuring your brand against these three attributes, it's less, amb- mm-hmm. it's less ambiguous. I think. Mm-hmm. I wish I had that answer then. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. Well, I mean, so let's go with this. Uh, the brand Z 
publication has been around for 25 years. That was shocking to me. I, no I mean, I, I know it's been around for a long time. I didn't realize it was 25 years. As long as my career. The, Jesus. Yeah. The, the system that they've developed over the last, I think it's 15-ish yeah. years that they had the Meaningful Different Framework has become very powerful predictor of performance. Mm-hmm. And and has been proven out by them to be valuable in terms of evaluating the equity of a brand. Mm-hmm. So, do I know that for sure? I believe what they're saying. There's a lot of good evidence, and then from what I've seen in other places, yeah. there's lots of evidence that supports what they're talking about. With Ehrenberg Bass being one of the big ones, and the IPA Data Bank is another big yeah, one. That's a good one. Yeah. And so there's a lot of repeated similarities between all those things so i would say like i mean you i i I don't know for sure but i'm i feel like this is a good model and a good framework so so. do i know the answers to like how my brand is performing against all those things No. no but um but by having this framework i feel like that's a good start for me to ask more questions to figure out the things that i think i might know like i could say things like yeah, we're totally differentiated and we're super meaningful to our customers. And that would be ones where I'd be like, do I, do I really do know I that? Really or know do that? I just think I know that? Yeah. But, you know, when I think about it like this, and I know we've, we've both worked for large organizations that, you know, have sizable budgets and whatnot. But even if you're commissioning a survey yourself, you could really root it in these three things and create a baseline. Totally. No one's saying you can't. Totally. Totally. I mean, that's really all research is. Like, right? Yeah. And any brand could do that. I mean, Google Consumer Surveys is like really inexpensive. Yeah. And anybody can use that. Establish that baseline and then, you know, decide how, even if you're just using Google Consumer Surveys, like how often you do it. Mm-hmm. Like it, it's, it's yeah. very scalable. It's very scalable. Totally. This is a good pod, and this was this was awesome. And it, you know, it keeps it keeps me thinking, like how much more, how, how how deeper can we go in some of these things, and maybe even understanding the the neuro side of of brand and how people have that affinity. I know we've had great mm-hmm. conversations with with Mary, with Roger, and even now Jorge and, and Graham, just around this. And mm-hmm. I just you can go in so many different directions, but it comes down to totally again how do brands really create that mind space or that those mental structures? Mm-hmm. And I think there we're, we're getting close to kind of uncovering what is that? I think Mary called it the secret sauce. I think, I think there mm-hmm. is, there is a formula here and I don't know, man, I just, I'm super excited and I love these conversations, love these, doing these pods. It's just uh, been so eye opening uh, for me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's this has been super fun. And like we've got some great additional pieces to help us try and figure out some of these other things that we're trying to totally. figure out. So awesome. Yeah, this is great. On to the next. Yeah.